So I'm having triple pepperoni pizza. What, what did, did you see the menu? Okay. Um, let me talk to you about um, help when you are in a hole. Let me talk to you about, what was that another Hillsong song, Stuck in the Middle with You? Is, was that Stuck in the Middle with You? Is that Darlene Check? No? In life and in ministry and in personal lives, momentum is everything. Uh, I've never been a surfer. I've never ridden a surfboard. But I do know that if the wave stops, the rider falls off. Uh, riding motorbikes is not a good idea. <laughs> they are dangerous. You still ride. <laughs> and I, I remember watching in the days when we had some great, great superbike ri riders. Um, Mickey Doohan would, would be, he'd go into a bend at 150k and he would get off the bike. The bike is out there. And he's got about 10 mil of rubber on the road. And you think, how on earth does he stay on? And the answer, of course, is momentum. Uh, we flew to uh, Port Lincoln this morning. If the plane loses momentum, you are in trouble. <laughs> it, it, it's actually the going forward that keeps you up. And the same applies in church life. If you have momentum, you have everything. In church life, people attract people. New people attract new people. Uh, you have water baptisms and other people want to get baptized. Uh, higher offerings appear to attract even higher offerings. And uh, larger attendances seem to build other larger attendances because momentum is everything. That's why Paul writes, this one thing I do, Forgetting what is behind, I am reaching out. Everything within me is reaching out. I remember listening to an interview with, um, with Ian Thorpe, and the great swimmer. And he said in this interview, over and over and over and over again, he would practice the last 25 meters of the race. And he worked out exactly how many strokes he needed so that when on the final stroke, it would just maybe a fingernail or the touch of the finger would, would you know, stop the clock. Because races can be won or lost in a hundredth of a second. And so he practiced it. He said everything within him was reaching for the wall. If you watch a 100-meter sprint, um, in the last 10 meters, their body is almost like at 45 degrees. They are straining to get to the line. There is no such thing as standing still in faith. Uh, Christian life, Christian living, Christian uh, church life is like being in a vehicle that has no brakes, but it's climbing a hill. Now, the moment you stop going forward, what happens? You start sliding back. Now, all of this is true, but what happens when you lose momentum? What happens when more people are leaving than are coming? 
What happens when the offerings are declining rather than increasing? What happens when the graph turns down? Well, when I was a pastor, I, I designed a graph that could never go down. So, so uh, I, I can show you how that works. Uh, but then, of course, what happens is that when you lose momentum, you feel trapped. You feel stuck. Uh, and, you know, I described trying to get my granddaughter out of the car seat. Stuck, granddad. And so what happens when you're stuck in ministry? What happens when you're stuck in your career? What happens when you're stuck in your church life? So here are some ideas about how to regain momentum. We're going to read very quickly Philippians chapter 4, 12 to 19. And Paul says these things. Philippians 4, and it should be verse 12, not verse 11. Uh, Philippians 12. I know what it is to be in need. Now, now, some faith preachers say that Paul would tell you that you never have to have a need. Well, if you're never sick, you can never know God as healer. If you're never having a problem, you'll never know that he's the deliverer. If you don't go through a difficult time, you, you don't know that he can meet your need. Uh, the word there for need means to be uh, under pressure. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have no money in the bank. I know what it is when people have left me. Uh, and when the devil sits on our shoulders and whispers, nobody understands, nobody knows, nobody cares, God has forgotten you. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I found how to regain momentum. I discovered that God can and will turn it around. Uh, the parable of the two sets of footprints in the sand is very powerful. You know the, the dream, the guy sees the two sets of footprints, then when the, the, the rocks appear, only one set of footprints. Where were you, God? Well, that was when I was carrying you. So I've learned the secret of being content. I found a, a way to keep my cup full. I found the secret of contentment. I've discovered how to regain momentum. And it doesn't matter on what I have or where I am. Whether I'm fed, whether I'm hungry, whether I'm living in poverty or in want, uh, I found in verse, 12, uh, verse 13 that I can do all things through him. I haven't learned a philosophy. I've met a person. I'm not following a mantra. I've actually met the master. This is not a new system of life governance. I've got a new revelation of Jesus because my answer is in Jesus and in Jesus I can do all things. Uh, why don't we read that verse together? Can you see it? Lord, heal their eyes if they can't see it right now. Here we go. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Uh, success comes in cans, failures in cards. I can do all things through Christ. Verse 14, it was good for you to share in my troubles. The word trouble means to be under pressure. He said, I've been under the pump. I've been crushed, I've been squeezed, I've been between a rock and a hard place. 
I didn't know where to turn. And uh, in this situation, Paul's talking about financial support. Verse 15, this is what he says. Moreover, as you know, uh, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving. Here I am doing what God's told me to do. Here I am planting churches in places where Jesus hasn't even been mentioned. And I'm doing all of this and nobody's helping me. <laughs> Here I am waving the flag in Elliston and the jolly people in Adelaide have forgotten my name. You know, here we are serving God in Wyala. You've been there since Wyala was a, wasn't even there. You know, it's, it's like, um, you know, here I are keeping the flag going and nobody seems to be interested. Feelings of abandonment. Feelings that nobody cares. I'm doing the will of God, but I'm struggling. I'm watching others succeed, but I'm not having the same success myself. Nobody's helping me except this church. Verse 16, even when I was at Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Verse 17, I need you to understand that I actually am not asking you to take an offering, but actually what I want you to experience is having credit in your account. God has a series of accounts in heaven and he records what we give to his purposes on earth. Paul says, I'm not asking you for money, but I do want you to give for this person, that, for this purpose, that you will have a reward in heaven's account. Verse 18, I've received payment more than enough. I'm amply supplied. I receive from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And in verse 19, this is what it says. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. We need to read this verse together. Are you ready? You need to read it and tell the person next to you. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So here we are, stuck in the middle. I have needs, God has a supply. But I'm stuck between the need and the supply. How do I release myself from the needs, and how do I unlock the resources of God? I'm stuck in the middle. I'm standing in an near empty barn but the promise is barns will over will be filled and vats will overflow i'm making big efforts but i'm seeing few returns i'm not really seeing the results i would want to see the prophetic words spoken over my life haven't happened yet and i'm not satisfied with where i am there must be something more but i'm stuck here how do I move from the small harvest to the larger harvest? Here I am in the middle. Uh, I'm facing impossibilities, mountains and giants. I know that mountains can move. I know that giants can be defeated. I know that all things are possible, but I'm stuck. How do I move forward? So here are the three questions. How do I move from my need to his supply? How do I move from empty barns to overflowing barns? 
How do I move the mountain and see the impossible come to pass? To those three questions, I want to give you three answers. Number one, the key to giving opens the door of God's provision. The key of sowing brings a greater harvest. And the key of tenacity turns failure to success. When the widow dropped her two five-cent coins into the treasury box in Luke 18, nobody heard the coins, corn, coins fall except heaven. When the rich people came with large volumes of money, with trumpets and fanfare and the noise of the boxes being filled, everybody noticed. But here is a woman with 10 cents. Now, I thought about this. Two small copper coins. What can you buy from the supermarket for 10 cents? I don't even reckon you could buy an, uh, one potato for 10 cents. I you, probably, you certainly couldn't buy an apple for 10 cents. What, 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 unless you went to Aldi on, on Fridays. Um, I mean, the woman has nothing less. She's got nothing left. But she knows that giving opens the key to God's provision. When uh, the prophet Elijah has announced to Ahab, there's no more rain, there's not even going to be dew, and then he sends him to the brook Cherith, I mean, th th this is impossible. Brooks dry up before rivers and ravens providing food. Are you okay? When ravens, ravens are the wrong sort of bird to bring food. This is crazy. But giving is the key to receiving. Uh, then when the brook dries up and he goes to Zarephath, it's a widow woman, a Gentile widow woman, who provides for him. And she's only got a little bit of oil. She's only got a little bit of flour just for one more meal. And the prophet says, you make me the cake first, make me the meal first, and God will provide. And the woman obeyed and discovered that giving opens the door to God's provision. Somehow, in the crowd of 5,000 men, Maybe 12,000, 13,000 people with the women and children. Only one boy had food. I don't know how Andrew found him in the crowd, but he did. And I don't understand why at the end of the day, because it was after 5 o'clock, that the boy hadn't eaten his lunch. Because some of our children, they would actually eat their lunch waiting at the bus stop to go to school. Some of them would sell it. They would trade it. You know, we'll swap, you know, my Vegemite sandwich for your packet of chips or whatever. And then some kids, when they get their lunch, they throw it in the bin. Some kids actually take it home uneaten. And here is a boy at the end of the day, he could have done all sorts of things with his lunch. What he did was that he put it in the hands of Jesus. And when you do that, giving is the key to receiving. That's the key to unlocking God's provision. Many people say, I'm too poor to give. But if you don't give, you'll never break the cycle of poverty. Some people say, I'm too small to give. But if you don't give, you'll never unlock God's provision. You might think, I don't have anything to give, therefore I won't give. But we fail to understand that uh, the key of giving opens God's provision. It is not the size of the gift. 
It is the principle. If you give, you open the door. The widow had two small key, uh, coins. The, the widow at Zarephath had a little bit of flour, a little bit of oil. The boy's lunch, according to John 5, John 6 rather, it was five small loaves and two small fish. But whatever we give to God touches God's infinity. And when you multiply anything by infinity, the result is always the same. As a pastor, I would like someone to put $1,000 in the offering. I'm surprised none of you said, amen, preach this. So when you give God $1,000, that $1,000 touches infinity. And infinity times 1,000 is what? Infinity. If a man gives 100 or a woman gives 100, it touches God's infinity, the same result. If somebody gives $1, it touches God's infinity and the same result. But if you give nothing, it's a mathematical problem. What is nothing times infinity? Giving opens the door to God's provision. So just recently, I was in the Philippines. I'm speaking to 500 pastors. I become aware of two things. Number one, I am the oldest person in the room. That's depressing. The second thing, I am the wealthiest person in the room. Oh, I don't just mean I've got more cash than they've got. You know, we drink clean water and we eat food every day. We've got a roof over our heads and clothes on our back and I've got a vehicle. I've got a doctor and a dentist. I've been to school, you know, beyond uh, primary school. I can vote against my government and not be killed. I've got the freedom to worship. I, I can travel along the street and not be attacked. We are some of the wealthiest people in the world. Do you understand that? You might not have a lot of cash, but let me tell you, you are wealthy. So here I am, the oldest and the wealthiest person in the room. And they take up a love offering for me. So what do you do? You see, if I say, oh no, I can't have this. I am robbing them of the blessing of giving and taking the key of giving off them because that actually unlocks the door of God's provision. So this is what I do. I say, thank you for this gift. The treasurer, I put my hand on it. And I say, I receive this in the name of Jesus. And I thank you, Lord, that you will multiply this money back to this church in the name of Jesus. Then when I go to the next church in the Philippines, I put what they gave me in their offering. <laughs> because we're not there to receive, we're actually there to give. And giving opens the door of God's provision. If you are stuck in the place of a need and you wonder why am I not experiencing God's provision, how do I move from my need to his supply, giving is the key that opens the door. Now as leaders, we want our people to give. Let me talk to you for a moment about what your church gives. I have no idea of what you do as a church giving outside the doors of your building. Maybe your giving is to meet the uh, social needs in your community. Maybe your giving is to plant a church somewhere else in the region. Maybe you are connecting with a missionary or, or maybe you're sponsoring um, you know, children in, in orphanages or whatever. Let me tell you that uh, everything you give to missions will come back to you. Let me say that to you again, just in case you didn't hear it. 
Everything you give to missions will come back to you. Oh, where's that in the Bible, Jeremy? Well, actually, it is Proverbs 19, 17. And it says this. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, who will reward him for what he's done. So let's pause for a moment. And uh, John, my friend John, has a financial need. Don is not actually Don. Don is God. He looks a bit like you. And uh, Pauline has some money in her wallet. This man needs $100. So he prays to God, God, I need $100. Now, some Pentecostals are wacky when it comes to God and money. They think that God can print money. They think that, sorry? Why can't he do that? Well, that's true. That's true. If God made money, he's a counterfeiter. He's a counterfeiter. Because the only legal tender in Australia is printed in Adelaide, in Canberra. So what happens? You ask him for money, and God speaks to this lady, who's got a hundred bucks in her purse, and say, give John a hundred dollars. So what's actually happening is that you are lending God the money to give to John. God is never in anybody's debt. And he pays fantastic rates of interest. So when we give outside of ourselves, we are lending God the money for the kingdom of God to advance. Because as that lady said, everything that God has is in our hands. What are we going to do with it? Well, giving is the key to receiving. So I don't know what your church does in relation to missions, but let me encourage you, partner with a missionary somewhere. Find a suitable project. You know, dig some wells in Africa. Support some orphans. You know, sponsor a church planter. Ask the Holy Spirit for creative ideas how you can raise money, not for your own church, but outside the walls of your church. Have a look at how much you gave last year. Maybe you gave 7% to missions. Well, make a faith step and believe that this year you'll give 8% to missions. Maybe you've been supporting five kids overseas. Why don't you make it seven kids overseas? Because giving opens the door to God's provision. If you are stuck with a need, complaining's not the answer. Actually, giving is the answer. So two and a half years ago, we moved from a pastoral wage to Centrelink. How many of you love Centrelink? Isn't it wonderful? You go there, you get a different answer from whoever you talk to every time. And, you know, mygov, mygov.au. How many of you love that? I mean, you know, I, I, I thought I was reasonably computer literate until I tried to get onto mygov. And I think of people, older people, who are, you know, no understanding of how on earth do they get on. So our income went down. We decided that we would raise the level of our giving. So we were giving something like 12% and decided that we would give 14%. Why? Because giving opens the door to God's provision. And over the last two and a half years, we are still planting churches in Poland, and we're still having a school in Bolivia, and we're still living a good life. We, we can still go on holiday, 
You see, if your personal finances are stuck, let me tell you that giving is the key that moves you from your need to his supply. But how do I move from an empty barn to an overflowing barn? I heard the secret from your pastor in the car this morning. I, he used a phrase that I'd never heard before, but I will never forget. And he talked about dry sowing. Is that, is that the term? What's dry sowing? No rain. And you still sow. <laughs> I got some news for you. Some of you in your churches have to dry sow. Nothing's happening. Nothing's occurring. You know, it's pretty dry. The river isn't flowing. And, you know, you'll never get a harvest until you sow. In, in South Australia, our grape harvest increases every year. Why? Because they're putting more vines in. You want a bigger harvest? Then sow bigger. I remember uh, one, of my one, of my, one of my student friends, when I was a, in Bible college as a student, he went up to Emerald. Emerald is like the bush. It's near the outback. I mean, anybody ever heard of Emerald? And he went in like, like 100 kilometers further out into the bush. And they spent a day planting grass. They had grass seeds. He said they, the guy just drove his truck and we scattered the grass. And uh, he said, there's no rain, there's no water. And the farmer said this, well, one day it will rain and at least it gives the chance for the seed to grow. Wow. Sometimes we scatter seed on dry ground. Sometimes, you know, you think, you know, what on earth is the purpose of this? Let me tell you that those who sow in tears will reap in joy. My word or God's word? It says those who go out weeping. What are we in this for? You know, this is breaking our heart in what we're doing. But we're carrying precious seed. One day we will return with shouts of joy, carrying sheaves with us. Galatians 6.9 says this, Do not become weary with doing good, because at the proper time, that's not the clock time, it's the kairos time. It means the season of God. There will be a harvest. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35, it says, uh, do, do not throw away your confidence. You will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. We are not of those who shrink back. We are of those who go forward and believe. Shrink, isn't that a great word? Everybody say shrink, shrink. We are not a shrink. No shrinking violets here. We are believing God. Because sowing is the key to the harvest. So keep on preaching and keep on praying and keep on believing and keep on standing on the promises and keep on speaking that heavenly language and keep on sharing the gospel and keep on reaching out and keep on rejoicing and keep on shaking off the grumbles and keep on giving thanks and keep on speaking out the promises. Keep on sowing because if you're stuck with an empty barn, one day it's going to rain. One day the seed will become alive and sowing is the key to the harvest. So let's apply this to the church. There is kingdom growth 
and there is numerical growth. And the two are not necessarily the same, but they are connected. Not all numerical growth is kingdom growth. <laughs> when we planted a church way back in 1874, 1974, in Perth, Western Australia, they gave, we were in the worst suburb of Perth. You know, it was, it was like some of Adelaide state housed state trust areas. Very, very difficult. And um, it, it was so difficult. I discovered this. If we gave away a free food, our church would be full of people. <laughs> you know, we would have family fellowship feasts. And we'd print, you know, 200 invitations to give them out to 200 families. And, you know, our church of 20 for that Sunday night would have 120 people. <laughs> it was a crowd. wasn't a church. There's a difference. So not all numerical increase is kingdom increase. But kingdom growth will eventually bring numerical growth. Now, wherever you might be in this region, let me encourage you to pray for other churches in your town. Pray that God will bless them. Pray that God will grow them. Pray that God will expand them. So, so Lord, here we are at one heart, and down the road, a church is closed. You know, like you could stand outside and throw a rock on their roof. It's probably why they closed, you know, the, you threw too many rocks. Hey, listen, Port Lincoln doesn't need fewer churches. It needs more churches. So we've got a building at Cal. I've preached there. I've caught fish in Cal Bay. It's a really good place. What was that guy's name? Vern somebody or other. Sergeant Schultz. That's right. That, that, that's who it was. And Vern, you know, he, he was there. He probably had a dozen people. He built a nice little building. And there's no church there. Oh, dear God, do something in Cal. Oh, but what's that got to do with Elliston? Hey, it's the kingdom of God. We're not in this for ourselves. We've got to understand that uh, sowing is the key to the harvest. Now, how many people do you have in your church? Well, maybe you've got... 20. Believe God for 22. <laughs> oh, but you know, on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. That's what we're believing for. Well, I got some news for you, Pastor Rob. You can't get 3,000 in here. <laughs> you can't do that yet. You know, but, so if you've got 160, believe for 175. Take small steps. You might have your long-term goal, but you've also got a mid-term, and you've got a really short-term goal, and you celebrate them when you achieve that. How many people have been saved? You know, if you've had nobody saved this year, believe for one, believe for one. Oh, haven't you got bigger faith than that, Jeremy? I, I certainly do. But, but I also understand that the kingdom of God grows step by step, brick upon brick, line upon line. How do you increase your numbers? How do you increase your attendances? It's really easy. If more visitors return and less of our people are away, your attendances grow. If you have higher rates of visitor returns, that's called evangelism, and you have lower rates of absenteeism, that's called pastoral care, your church will grow. So if you've got 30, believe for 33. 
Oh, God, we thank you that there's going to be 33. And you put out 35 chairs or whatever. Just have very small goals that are attainable over the next month or two. Because if you've got 30 and you're believing for 300, it's going to take you so long you will get discouraged. But you sow, you keep on sowing, you don't give up, the harvest is coming. In your personal life, if you are stuck between an empty barn and the harvest, there are two things that need to happen. Number one, you need to fix your eyes upon the Lord. And number two, you need to mix with the right kind of people. You need to remind yourself that he is the Lord of the church. You need to remind yourself that he is the Lord of the harvest. You need to remind yourself that it's his call upon our lives. Develop a relationship with the Holy Spirit. Let me encourage you. You see, the Holy Spirit is our friend. He's standing next to me right now. He's sitting next to you. When was the last time you talked to him? Ask me, Jeremy, do you talk to the Holy Spirit? All the time. So when I'm writing a sermon, I say, Holy Spirit, please help me. How do I illustrate this? How do I explain this? Holy Spirit, please help me. We can talk to him as our very best friend. Let me encourage you as Pentecostals, we need to discover what it is to pray powerfully in tongues. Then we need to mix with the right kind of people. We tell our kids and our grandkids this, What make sure you choose good friends. Well, if you mix with grumblers, grumbles will come out of your mouth. If you mix with negative people, negativity will find itself in your heart. But draw on people that will build your faith. Dump the doubters, abandon the critics, don't sit in the seat of the scornful. That is in the Bible. Psalm 1.1, don't go that way and don't sit there. We have to make an effort to do this. Don't compare yourself with others. Don't copy what others are doing. Wear your own armor. Fight your own battle. Run your own race. Use what is in your hand. And if you are stuck in church life, if you are stuck in your personal life, the key of sowing opens the door to the harvest. We now come to the third question, and I've got about three minutes. How do I move the mountain? How does the impossible become possible? How do I unlock miracles? And if the key of giving and the key of sowing opens provision and harvest, the key of tenacity opens the door to miracles. Did you hear about the farmer who had an old donkey on his property? Somehow the donkey fell down a dry well. Have you heard this story? The donkey can't get out. The farmer says, you stupid donkey, I should have shot you long ago. He decides to get rid of the donkey by pouring rubbish into the dry well to fill it up. So this poor donkey, everybody go, oh, is now stuck in the well and the guy is dumping junk on him. So what does he do? He shakes it off and treads it down. He shakes it off, treads it down. And every time he did that, he rose a little higher. I don't know what jerks are going to pour junk on you. But I do know this. Shake it off. Tread it down. And eventually you can step out of that hole through pure tenacity. Oh, where's that in the Bible? Well, it's the guy at midnight knocking on the door. I'm not going away until you give me an answer. 
It is like the widow who comes to the judge, you know, avenge me of my adversary. There has been some sort of land dispute. And Hebrew culture required the judge to help the widow. But she didn't have any money. He, she couldn't bribe him. But others, her opponents, did. And so he refused her case. She kept on coming and kept on coming. Every time he drove up to the courthouse, she's waiting on the steps. Every time he looks at his, uh, you know, uh, agenda for the week, her name's on there. Every time he sits in judgment, she's standing there. And the Bible says this, he became so pestered by her, he was frightened she would blacken his eye. What an amazing thing. Standing against injustice. We live in a world of incredible injustice. There's an imbalance of wealth. There's an imbalance of food. There's an imbalance of health. You know, we, we live in a world of, of um, sexual exploitation. You know, we, we live in a day of slavery. In, in the 21st century, we are not going to sit in silence. That's another Hillsong song. Isn't that? We're not going to sit in silence. You don't know that one? Okay. You see, we can't save everybody. We can save some. And I'm not going to sit in silence. When there is injustice in the world, we will do whatever we can. And then there's Bartimaeus. He's a blind beggar outside Jericho. And he hears this noise. It's, a it's, a it's not just a crowd. There are thousands of people. What, what, what's going on? What's going on? Oh, Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Bartimaeus doesn't say, Jesus of Nazareth, have mercy. He shouts out, Jesus, son of David. Oh, this blind man can see more than the others. I know who you are. You're the Messiah. You're David's son. Have mercy. Shut up, you blind beggar. That was the response of the crowd. But that morning on the radio, he had listened to Johnny Farnham singing. I'm not going to sit in silence. So what does he do? What does he do? He shouts even louder. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He's living in Jericho, a city that Joshua had cursed. He's sitting in poverty. His present doesn't limit his future, though. The crowd is against him. You're blind. You're a beggar. It's impossible. No, I'm believing for a miracle. I'm not going to sit in silence. We have the greatest message in the world. We are not going to sit in silence. We've got the greatest power in prayer and praise. And we're not going to sit there silent on a Sunday. We're going to lift our voices and worship and sing and praise his name. We are not going to sit in silence. Oh, but I've sung those songs before. Keep on singing. Don't let the devil silence you. Don't let your own fears intimidate you. But hey, hang on to God and tenacity will bring the miracle. The key of giving opens the door to provision in your church and in your personal life. The key of sowing. Hey, maybe you're dry sowing today. But I can hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And the key of tenacious faith says, Mountain, you got to move. 
mountain, you've got to move. And you keep on keeping on until it happens. All right. Well, that went longer than I'm, I'm sorry. No, I'm not sorry at all. So this is what we're going to do. Where are we having lunch? Well, it hasn't arrived yet, so I'm still going to go on. Are you going for lunch? The triple pepperino pizza's mine. No, we're going to pray first of all. And we're going to do something that I've never done in a pastor's meeting, so don't, please don't go. Paul said, when I speak to you, I would rather speak five words in uh, Aramaic or Greek than 10,000 in tongues. He also said, I speak in tongues more than you all. So when did he do that? He didn't do it on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock when the church got together, which they didn't, they met in the evening, but it wasn't. But now, here we are, we're all believers. Oh, sorry. Here we are, we're all believers. And we're all filled with the Spirit. So this is what I reckon we should do. I reckon we should play for these places. Um, Cal. Wyala. Where's the other place? Kimber. That need a pastor. So this is what Jesus said. Write at the Bible college and ask them to send somebody. What did he say? What did he say? Pray the Lord of the harvest that he would raise up laborers. We're not going to pray in English. We're going to pray in tongues. But our mind is going to be, Lord, as we are praying, as we're speaking in tongues, this is for Cal. We're praying for Kimber and we're praying for Wyala. And we don't know how to, we don't know how to pray for this. Well, we're going to stand together, we're going to speak in tongues, and for 30 seconds we are praying for these places. Uh, would you do that with me? I've, ne I've never been in a, in a pastor's meeting where they've done this. So, so, so is, is this okay? Is this all right? So let's stand together. Let's lift our hands, and we're going to speak in tongues. Fa Father, this is our prayer for Cal and for Kimber and for Wyala. And we don't know how to pray. So Marama Sandara Bara Sharanda. Randa Baruna Mosurutu Barana Masharanda. Karabarana Masarabaranda. This is for Kimber Lord. Marabarana Masurutu Barana Masharanda. Randa Baruna Mosurutu Barana Mas. Shanda Buruna Mosurutu Barana Mas. Shandara Baruna Mosurutu Baranda. Karabarana masara barandai, randa barana masibianda barana masharandai, sanduria shara barana masibiundu, randa barana masharandai. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, para barana masarandai. Hallelujah. Once we have prayed, once we have prayed, we need to change our prayer into thanks. So, Lord, we thank you for a pastor for Kimber. We thank you for a pastor for Wyala. We thank you for a pastor for Cal. In the name of Jesus. Would you, would you do something for me, please? My brother has been a pastor nearly as long as I have. He and his wife, Jackie, have a daughter called Emma. She's 43. And uh, she was in the same Bible college year as Andrea Ragnade. So she went through a Bible college. She's been involved in various church ministries. 
Emma, 43. Two years ago, she was diagnosed with a melanoma on her, the tip of one of her fingers. They removed the melanoma uh, last November. They removed golf ball-sized lumps from her elbow and her underarm. Uh, she's been on medication. They've now identified that there are growths in her brain and her lungs and her liver. I don't think you could have a worse diagnosis. I don't know. How on earth do you pray? How do you pray in that situation? Well, the Bible says, when we don't know how to pray, the Spirit makes intercession through us. If anybody knows how to pray, it's Pentecostals. So you don't even know what this, who this is. I'm just introduced the name. Have I exaggerated anyway? Am I exaggerating? The, 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 I'm just telling you how it is. So I would like you to pray for 30 seconds. And Father, we're going to pray in tongues. Our spirit's going to pray. And we're praying for Emma Griffiths in Perth, Western Australia. We don't know how to pray. So Lord, as your people, we now lift Emma. This is for Emma Griffiths. Marabara masibianda gadasha. Randa barona mosurudu barana masharanda. Randa barona mosurudu. Sanda barana mashara barada baba surundu. Sara barana mashurudu barana masibianda. Kara barona mosurudu. This is for Emma. This is for Emma. Murutu barana masibianda gadasharada. Hallelujah. I want you to put your hand over your heart. I want you to think of a need in your church or in your life or your personal life or your family, a friend, whatever. Just, just Holy Spirit, drop somebody into our heart that we need to pray for right now. And we're not gonna, we don't have to explain anything to you because you already know that person. And we're going to spend 30 seconds doing the same. So ju just allow the Spirit of God. Don't just aimlessly speak in tongues, but think of that person and say, Holy Spirit, Father, this is for. Come on, let's do that. Randa baruna musurudu barana masharandai. Randa baruna musurudu barandai. Pray for my son David. Oh God, help David. Help David. Provide for him, Lord. Do more than he can. Lord, provide for John. Lead him, guide him. Open the right door, right place, right time. Nidiana musurudu barana masharandai. Shara baruna musurudu barana masharandai. Shara baruna musurudu barana Bara baruna musurudu barana ma Shandura barama sibianda garabasharanda Hallelujah Hallelujah Praise God Praise God God bless you Please take your seats Thank you very much for being here today And uh, thank you Pastor Rob for the opportunity you've given me And uh, there you go. We're going to have lunch. And if you want to hang around for tonight, 7 o'clock is going to be life-changing. It really is. Give him a great hand this morning, afternoon now. So we're going to have lunch. Um, so uh, please join us over the...
around the tables and have some time together to eat. I'm going to say, Grace, uh, before I do that, the 26th of June is our next State Pastors and Leaders Day in Adelaide, so uh, make sure you get along to that. I think it is at Life Point, which is where Jeremy is. Oh, well, maybe it's not. I don't know. Maybe it hasn't even been announced yet where it's at. Go to Adelaide on that day and just 